Thank you, worship. Amazing, beautiful worship. Um, My name's Claire Thompson. Hello, everybody. If you don't know me, I'm part of the team here. I've been a little bit absent um, recently because I'm also part of the team that runs Love Bristol Church, and my husband is running a Ukraine outreach, and he's not very present in Bristol, so I'm trying to be more present there. And um, yeah, so it's, it's lovely to be with you, and it's It's so lovely to see some people I haven't seen for ages. So um, we are in a series on prayer, as we often do. We often talk about prayer. It's a very normal thing for Christians to talk about prayer. And the reason why we we talk about it is because it's tricky, isn't it? So if you were to do a bit of an internal sort of um, audit of your prayer life at the moment, you're not going to tell anyone, number between naught and ten, how's it going? Is it fantastic? Any tens in the room? Any noughts in the room? Somewhere on that spectrum. <laughs> There's definitely a naught in the room. Um, <clears throat> you're, you know, it's not that easy, is it, prayer? Some people seem to find it easier than others. Rob and Pam, the sort of founder members of this group of churches, this family of churches, they seem to have got prayer down. And if any of you were at the um, Thanksgiving for Rob and Pam's ministry last week, it's really amazing. Um, But you can also watch it online. And the thing that's most evident about those two amazing couple is that prayer life. It's sort of enviable. And it's something that you kind of realize as somebody who's a follower of God, a follower of Jesus, that we're invited into this thing. And it's tricky and a bit complicated, but it's natural. And apparently it's the most natural thing in the world. Nearly everyone prays. And it's a great mystery too. Somebody came to Einstein once a PhD student, and said, I want to do a PhD, but what is there left to study that is interesting and still hasn't really been explored to write a PhD on? And and Einstein said, someone should explore prayer. He recognized this sort of mystery in people's prayer lives, and he wasn't a believer, a follower of Jesus. He was, um, yeah, so he he was intrigued by it. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at, we're looking at prayer and we're following a bit the Lord's Prayer um, because it's Jesus' most famous teaching on prayer and um, we're going to go through a few lines in the prayer and it's not just about just studying the Lord's Prayer, it's actually what does the Lord's Prayer tell us about the priorities of Jesus, the things he wanted us to know about and it begins with this line, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father. I wonder if you do, when you come in prayer to God, do you call him our Father? I think we've got a very individualistic sort of um, prayer life very often. It's very much about my Father or God or Lord. And, um, you know, we're looking to, but there's something that from the get-go in Jesus is this inclusiveness. You're our Father. We're part of a family and we're coming to God who's the head of this family. Now, the Jewish people that heard Jesus talking about our father were quite annoyed with him. They kind of wanted to kill him for even saying our father. They felt it was a bit of a claim to be equal with God. So it was an outrageous thing to say because their name for God wasn't even pronounceable. You weren't allowed to have the name of God on your lips. And it was denoted by YHWH and is sometimes lengthened into the word Yahweh. But these are the letters 
of the tetragrammaton, the four letters that denote God. And they would, when they read that, they would call him Lord. But he was um, a distant, perhaps very holy. Be careful when you approach God. Don't even say his name. You're not holy enough to come to him. And you've got to come via the priest and the sacrificial system of the, um, the temple rituals. And because that is who God is, he's so holy, you can't really come near. And then Jesus comes walking onto the scene and he says, our father. He calls him my father. And by the time the New Testament is being written, the Apostle Paul very comfortably calls him the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because that is the name that they've come to know. But Philip Yancey says this about that. He said, the word father has become, it's become so commonplace to speak of God as father that we forget what an extraordinary metaphor it is. And that's where I want us to go to actually just think about you know, what does it mean to come to God as Father? What kind of God is he, this Father? Um, a little while ago, <clears throat> a little longish while ago, my husband, Greg, was overhearing two of our kids negotiating something. They were quite young, seven and eight, that sort of thing. And some kind of negotiation, a business deal, was being struck in the room next door. Now, this one particular one of our sons is a very good businessman. He's an adult now, and he's turned out to be pretty good at it. But the signs were there way back 15 years ago when um, this deal was starting to be struck. And something, we're not quite sure what it was, but there was a toy that was no longer wanted by the businessman. And my other son wanted it or wanted to use it. And there was a bit of negotiation. Well, you don't need it anymore. And can't I just borrow it? And no. And he was striking a bit of a hard bargain. Eventually, money was mentioned. And um, the, my, one of my sons offered to pay. And yes, there was some agreement there. So some kind of business deal was struck over this particular toy. And one son had to pay for the other just to use some thing that was not really needed anymore. And as he was listening, overhearing this interchange, Greg said, he just felt God quietly speak to him and say, aren't you glad I'm not your brother? <laughs> I'm a father. And he, what he, he sort of thought in that moment was, as a father, I'd absolutely love to give that thing to my son. It would be just a pleasure. It wouldn't be something that would be lost to me if I gave it. It would be a delight. It's a father's delight to give things to your children, to grant requests. It's brilliant to be able to do it. And if you've got the thing that's being asked, it's amazing to be generous. And he's got Greg said he just felt like God showed him, oh, this is what fathering is like. It's not this negotiating. And I think actually <clears throat> maybe you might be familiar with the idea in prayer, that sometimes we slightly come to God with a bit of a bargaining chip. If I clean up my act, will you do this for me? Or if I do this, will you, if I get better at this, or if I get better at prayer even, would you grant my prayers? If I read my Bible more, if I'm good enough, or whatever it is, is this the right thing to pray for, God? Is this the sort of prayer that you might answer? It's such a puzzle, isn't it? And it can feel like you're trying to solve a bit of a mystery. And Jesus seems to want to just take the veil off prayer and make it something that we understand a bit more naturally. And so we might, let's, let me just read you something from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, um, another spiritual teacher who um, many people love to listen to. And he says this, a child asks of the father whom he knows. 
Thus, the essence of Christian prayer is not general adoration, but definite, concrete petition. The right way to approach God is to stretch out our hands and ask of the one we know as the, with the heart of a father. That's kind of where we're going today. What is it like to pray to this God who says, call me father? Um, and Jesus paints this picture repeatedly of God being the Father. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the most famous story that Jesus told, which is the story of the prodigal son. And it might be very, very familiar to you. You might have read it lots of times. And we know that it is a story of a father and his sons, two sons. And the, we, this story begins with this father with two sons. And one son comes to the father and says, I want my inheritance that I'm going to get when you die. I'm going to have it now. Please can I have it so I can go off and have an enjoyable life. I want to get on with my life. And obviously he feels something is being restricted. So he takes the inheritance and the father grants it. And his son goes off and he starts spending this inheritance. And he makes a mess, basically, of his life. And he ends up in a pigsty eating pig food. And there the Bible says in this story that Jesus tells... Um, that he comes to his senses and he starts to think, you know, in my father's house, even the servants are getting a better deal than this. I need to go back and say, let me be a servant to you. And that's where we sort of come into this story. So let's read it, shall we? <clears throat> but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it, for let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's such a familiar story, isn't it? But I just want us to think today about why Jesus told that story and what he's trying to portray. I don't think it's primarily about this is what you do when you've messed up. I think Jesus is painting a bit of a portrait of the kind of God that the Father is. And we might want to ask that question, what kind of God is this that we're praying to? What kind of God is it that you pray to when you approach him? And here are three things that I think, there's so much in this story, it's so full of um, richness, but here's three things that I think are really important for us to understand. And one is 
that he is a good father. He's not a bad father. He's a good father. He's not a distant father. He is a good father. He's not a disengaged father. He is a good father. He is not mean-spirited or broken or unpredictable. He is a good father. That is who God is. And I wonder, again, if you were to do a bit of an internal survey about the kind of God that you approach when you come in prayer, do you think of him as a good father? Because many of us don't have that impression when we come to God, I think. We think um, that he's maybe a bit distant. Maybe he's not waiting for us. He's preoccupied with other things, big things like wars and stuff like that, things that are preoccupied with answering the prayers of the good prayers like Rob and Pam Scott Cook, or he's preoccupied with things that actually are important to you know, on the big scale. But, and we have these sort of internal templates that we approach God with, and they're a bit hard to shift because they, they're ingrained in us and they come from for many of us, a long time ago, templates that form in our childhood around our fathers. We know this stuff. It's been talked about quite a lot in Christian um, talk for 20 years or so about the idea that we get our picture of God as father from our human fathers. And yet, it's still pretty hard to shift these ideas. Let me read you something again from Philip Yancey about this template. He says this, Philip Yancey's father died before he, just when he was still a baby. <clears throat> and he said this, having no father created a hole in my universe. Something like a black hole, a powerful unseen force that disturbs everything around it. Though he was hardly a real person to me, more of a myth, his, sub his life shadowed mine. His absence felt like a presence. He looks just like his daddy, the women would say at church, as they tamped down a cowlick on my head. He's got that same head of curls. They referred to him as your daddy, but I never called him anything. He died before I could talk. And Philip Yancey talks about how in later life, um, a man came into his life, a doctor, who became a friend of the family, and he was an amazing man, this doctor. And in, just as he befriended the family and became a bit of a father figure to Philip Yancey, suddenly a template started to form in Philip's own life, trying to understand what it was to have a father. And all of a sudden, the picture of what God was really like began to clear as he realized God might be like this man, this amazing man. And so, what was your father like? What kind of templates were laid down in your early life? And here are three things that I think are really common when people talk about their fathers. I, um, if you know anything about me, you'll know that I, I do prayer and counseling with people, and I've done it for 30-odd years. And over that time, there's some really consistent themes in people's lives, because humans are pretty consistent. We're broken in similar ways, many of us. And so here are three things that often come up. If you have a look at that slide. Distant fathers, many of us have had distant fathers. Distant but present. Present in the home, emotionally distant. Not relatable, absent because they're working all the time, not present at the crucial moments. Distant fathers make us self-sufficient. If, 
your father is not dis is your father is not present at those crucial moments we've got to find a way to cope or find a way to deal with life and often what we do is we put a kind of defense mechanism in place well let's just not expect too much or let me be self-sufficient i can sort it myself out i don't need anybody and that template forms in our life and then we use it to view the world and very often we end up coming to God with this kind of very low expectation that God is kind of attentive, looking at us. Is he listening? Is he really waiting? What else is there? Unpredictable. Some people have had very unpredictable fathers. And again, it's quite a common theme. Fathers that blow up, you know, that blow up with temper and mood and things like that. Maybe you're even a father yourself and you're thinking, oh, that's kind of me. Because actually we're prone to that. Human beings, mothers as well, are prone to ups and downs. But the problem is, is that we're forming a template in our children's lives. And for many of us, that has been our experience, unpredictable. So when you have an unpredictable father, you tend to, again, form a little defense mechanism around it. Just keep your distance, tread on eggshells, be careful, appease, those sorts of things. It's very difficult to shift that when you come in your relationship to God the Father and think, is this a God that I need to appease you know when I've done that thing or done that that way of behaving and I've fallen into that trap that I often do and in, in my brokenness do I need to appease him is he going to be a bit unpredictable and the third thing is critical it's really again not that uncommon uh, in in our lives to have critical fathers sometimes fathers who nothing is quite good enough perfectionist fathers who are quite driven because they want you to succeed and out of their fear they drive and so it's again it's another template that is easy to hold within us of this sort of sense of do i am i ever going to be good enough am i ever going to be good enough for this father in heaven is it am i enough and so they're difficult to shift but many people in this church have gone on a journey with that stuff many people hundreds over the years we look at it in our course our wholeness course but also just in the kind of general belief structure of this church we believe that we can deal with some of those things from the past sometimes we need to forgive fathers that are like that sometimes these things are quite subtle as well it's not like an abusive father who has kind of left his mark in a terrible way. It can be that we absolutely love and adore our parents, but we recognize there's a bit of passivity there, and it's shaped my expectation of life, myself, and God. And sometimes we need to simply come to God and acknowledge it, give and release our own human fathers and say, I don't want to cast that image onto you, God, because you're a good, good father, the best kind of father and I'm challenging us all when we come in prayer this week when we pray can we remind ourselves he's a good father the second thing that you see in this story the prodigal son is the mercy of God it's all about the mercy isn't it it's mercy given to a very undeserving son and it's also mercy given to this older brother who um, the father answers him quite graciously. But you know, that kind of mercy is not expected. Again, in Jewish culture, the idea of a father gathering up his robes and running would be very unseemly. It wouldn't be the thing to do. Apparently there was a custom when a son would come home to a village 
Um, a person would come home to a village, if they'd done something wrong, then the village would turn out to publicly shame them and to say you're no longer part of the family of your father. And so some theologians say, was this father being depicted as running out to anticipate, to stop the rejection of the village, to actually get there first and say, no, he is mine, he's still my son. There's this mercy that sort of goes out beyond our mercy. Sometimes we love to portray God as a bit hard, not very merciful, and we think we're more merciful than God. We would kind of let people off where maybe God is this holy God, but actually the truth is very often God is much more merciful than us. We're the ones who struggle to forgive, to blame people, to hold judgments. We are the elder brother who most of us can probably identify with that feeling of, hang on a minute, he doesn't deserve this. I've been doing all the right stuff. Why are their prayers being answered and not mine? Why do they always get good stuff happening and I don't? That's the older brother's voice and it's my voice and it's your voice because we're not merciful by nature. We're judgy by nature. But the Father is full of mercy. And Jesus is painting a picture. He's saying, I want you to think of him as full of mercy. So when you come in prayer, you're going to meet mercy. And not only that, his mercy is infinite. And if you think about what the mercy of God, what infinite means, infinite means no edges, doesn't it? It doesn't run out. It just keeps going to the same degree all the time. So you're never going to test the patience of God to the point where his mercy is running out. Do you get that? You're never going to get to the edges of his mercy. There's more than enough in his heart of mercy towards you. So whatever your struggle is, you can come. You don't have to go and sort yourself out in order to get to God. You come to the one who is good and merciful. And the third thing is he is um, generous. He is a generous God. He's a generous father. You know, he's so generous that when the son, the older brother comes and he says, hang on, this is not okay, he says to him, he just simply says, everything I have is yours. That is a message to you today from God, your generous father. Now, you might be somebody who feels pretty self-sufficient in your life. Maybe you are. Maybe you're a brilliant, self-sufficient person. But God says to you, do you know what? Everything I have is yours. I have got more than enough, better and more than your self-sufficiency. I've got more than enough for you. And you might feel like, hang on a minute, I've got this craving in my soul that nothing can satisfy. I can't seem to get hold of the love of God. And God says to you, everything I have is yours and I want you to experience me as a generous God. And that is the picture that Jesus is painting when he talks about the prodigal son. And he, when he talks about our father, these things are in Jesus' mind. This is the kind of father. What kind of God are we praying to? That kind of God. And so at the end of this little teaching on, on prayer, Jesus returns to the theme and he says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, 
and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or ask for money, negotiate a deal? (laughs) If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? That is the kind of God that Jesus wants us to approach in prayer. And you know, the Robin Pams do the other night when, you know, that there's this testimony of the faithfulness of God. That's what many of us sort of remarked on. It just felt like here is a life lived in the context of God's faithfulness. And it's really striking and satisfying to see someone who has lived a life in that way. There was an expectation of God's goodness and faithfulness in answers to prayer. But it wasn't just that. There was this kind of timeline of not just answered prayer, but friendship with God and relationship and mercy of God. And in the, the persistence in prayer had borne that kind of fruitfulness. A story of walking with God. And when we come in God in prayer to God, we're not just coming with a list of things that we need. We're entering into this friendship, this family, this this relationship with the Father that is meant to be part of an unfolding story. And I wonder if you're hoping that the story of your life will be one of walking with God, that people will say of you as you come to the close of your life, that's a person who walked with God, who came to God as Father, who knew him, full of mercy and generosity and grace. Is that the story of your life? Because actually, you know, you come, when the picture that Jesus paints of God as Father, this generous-hearted God, is one where there isn't, there's not an, a dis-ease there, a struggle. It's actually one of an unfolding grace and presence that Jesus wants to invite us into. So when he prays our Father, it's an invitation. And I just want to leave it there and say, suggest that you allow those thoughts to refresh your views of God as you come in prayer. And maybe make a conscious decision of praying to him as your Father this week. In fact, our father, there's something about our father that's very striking, isn't it? It's not my father, my individualistic little relationship. We're part of this family, the global family of God, stretching back through history, through the centuries. He is our father. He binds us together. It is the tie that binds us all together, that we are part of God's family. He is our father. So... I'm going to come to an end there, and I'm going to pray for us. But I'm going to pray for you and, and me this week that we will have a, a kind of fresh vision of God as Father this week. And if some of the stuff about your own human father has kind of provoked you a bit, I just want to encourage you to go on a journey with it. These things are not necessarily quickly shifted, but there's an opportunity in this church to be on a journey with God of forgiveness and healing and wholeness where you can discover gradually more and more of the great and generous Father heart of God. So let's pray. Just take a little moment with God and acknowledge maybe where, the, where there might be a sense of, oh, this is a tricky bit for me. It's 
Some of you have got disappointments in your relationship with God, where you felt like you've asked for things and they've not been granted, and maybe it's made you move away from God a bit. You're puzzled by him. I just want to say to you today that God sees you, and he is full of grace, full of warmth and affection for you. He is not distant. He is present, and he is a good father. And so I, I pray, dear God, that you would meet us in the place where we're at. Just like in that story, you met the son. You interrupted his journey towards offering to become a servant. You interrupted that with your generous mercy. And you celebrated him. And God's going to interrupt you. This week, he wants to interrupt you with his great and generous Father's heart. And where you're stuck, God's mercy is infinite. I just feel there's someone here who needs to hear that. You feel like you tested God's patience. And God says to you, I'm not running out. There's plenty. It's infinite. It's never going to run out.